Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Lord, open our hearts to your Word. I pray you would speak to us through your Word, that you would use me and you'd even use the thoughts that we think around your Word, Lord Jesus, and uh, move us in your direction. Uh, breathe life where there is death and uh, renew us from the inside out and we will say thank you, Jesus. Amen? You may be seated. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians and I am in chapter three this week and we live in a culture that has a lot to do with safety. Safety belts, right? And we wear masks for safety, right? And, we're, and uh, we think a lot about being safe. I know grow, uh, growing up, my wife would say to the kids, be safe, make good choices, and I would say, have fun, right? So they come back with a broken arm, but did you have fun, right? I did have fun, that's good, you know. Uh, but safety is kind of a big thing. And yet, check out what Philippians says here in the beginning. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write this to you, the same thing again. So he's like, I said it before, I'm saying it again. And he goes, and it is a safeguard for you. Now, is that kind of puzzling, right? You know, you're like, rejoice in the Lord, and you'll be safe. Like, how does that connect? Right? How does joy in the Lord do you connect it with safety when you think about it? When was the last time you thought, wow, she's really happy in the Lord? She's safe, right? Why? Well, that's a safe person. Look how happy they are, right? You're, it, it, it's a head scratcher, isn't it? I think I know what's going on here. I, I think um, how does joy in the Lord keep you safe? I, I think the, the thing that we make the center of our life um, is so important to us, right? So it says here, you're the source of my joy. You're the center of my world and the whole of my heart. If Jesus is the source of my joy, the center of the world, the whole of my heart, and I live for him, he fulfills me. And if I fail him, he forgives me. But you know what? If you're making anything else the source of your joy, the, 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 the place where your heart is, and you lose that thing, what happens to you, right? When you lose that thing that's so precious to you, you're like, oh, life is not w- worth living anymore, right? You make a man or a woman or a relationship or a career or your job, or your success, whatever, whatever you put in that place. And I think the Apostle Paul knows this. Even your physical health, or your children, or whatever, you know, whatever it is, you make that the center of your joy, and something happens to them, and it's not safe, and you sink. But when Jesus is your joy, where your treasure is, when he's your treasure, your heart is there also. Jesus is the only treasure that when you live for him, he fulfills you. And when you fail him, he forgives you. You fail your job, you're fired. You fail your relationship, you're out, right? But Jesus is the only one who fully forgives you. And you know, I found that much of my Christian life, and maybe if you're honest with yourself, 
you discover yourself finding your joy in other things. Your heart goes to wander over here or over there. And for me, my life is a continual, oh Lord, help me to recenter my joy in you. Help me to find you more beautiful than the other things that I call beautiful. Help me to treasure you more than the other things. That's what repentance is. I think it's just saying, Lord, like ravish my heart so that I find you more beautiful, so that I find more joy in you than all the other things. Why? Because it's safe. It's safe. So I want to go through this chapter, and I want to look at religious joy. I want to look at irreligious, non-religious joy, and I want to look at Christian joy in this chapter. So he continues, and he says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus who put no confidence in the flesh. So kind of an interesting way to begin, right? First, we love our dogs, don't we? But back in that time, their dogs were not so loved. I've been to Mexico and dogs just run all over. But they, they do have some house dogs. But for the most part... They're just like dogs, and they eat the garbage. They eat, you know, they eat whatever they can. They don't look healthy either. And in that day, dogs were not thought highly of. So he is actually saying these people, like, beware of the rats, right? Who, who, who? Uh, they're trying to get you. Like, why is he so mad? Why does he call them a name? What is, what, what is so important to him that he would call these people dogs? And have this contrast between you've got this kind of thing you want to do to mark people, but we're marked by the Spirit of God. Like, what's going on here? And I think what's going on is the Apostle Paul is saying these guys are religious and we're all about the gospel. Like, these guys want want to bind you up with external things, but we know that it's not the external things that are critical. It's what God's doing inside your heart. So I want to go through kind of a list that I got from a, a book from Tim Keller, and I go through it in confirmation. I go through it in membership class, and I think it's good to go through it here because I'd like you to almost have a scorecard in your head, and I want you to ask yourself the questions, am I more religious motivated or more gospel motivated? Am I more of a dog or am I more of somebody moved by the Spirit? Because religion says this, I obey, therefore God accepts me. I obey, God accepts me. But what does the gospel say? God loves me and accepts me, and because of that, I I want to obey him. Which one are you? Motivation. Religion motivation is fear-based. It's insecurity I remember when I came to the Lord and I was wrestling in high school, I'd be like, Lord, if I don't do these sins, then I'll win, right? You know? And gospel-based is this, Lord, you did that for me. You did that for me. Thank you. How can I not do that stuff for others? Oh, let me go back. The gospel, religion says, I obey God in order to get things from him. That's my wrestling thing, right? If, I, if I'm good, you give good things. The gospel says, I obey God to delight in him and resemble him. Amen. Like, Lord, I want to know you because you are so wonderful and so beautiful. And 
Yeah, it's a, it's a different motivation. Religion says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry at God or myself, since I believe, like Job's friends, that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. Come on, don't tell me you haven't been here before. When a bad thing happens and you're like, what did I do? Right? And the gospel says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I, I struggle. But I know all my punishment fell on Jesus And that while he may allow this for my training, he will exercise his fatherly love within my trials. Religion says this, when I'm criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it's critical that I think of myself as a good person. Threats to my self-image must be destroyed at all costs, right? Somebody tells you something, kill the prophet, right? Kill the prophet, Right? Because how can I receive criticism? Because I am so caught up in my own identity. It's religion. And the gospel says this, when I'm criticized, I struggle. But it's not critical for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. And I can take criticism. How you doing on the report cards? Religion says this, my prayer life consists largely of petitions, requests. It, it, it only heats up when I'm in time of need. My main purpose in prayer is to control my environment. The gospel says my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. I could even add stillness. And my main purpose is fellowship, communion with the living God. How, how, where, where are you in this list? Are you more dog-like? I, say, I have dog tendencies in me. Religion says my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. So I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. I disdain and feel superior to others. But the gospel says this. My identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for his enemies, who is excluded from the city from me. I'm saved by sheer grace, so I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different from me. Only by grace I am what I am. I've got no inner need to win arguments. Anybody's toes get stepped on? So... uh, The Apostle Paul goes on because he's like, hey, if you want to be religious, let me just give you my resume. If we're going to play the religious game, let me tell you who I am. He goes, I was more religious than all of you, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh to be religious. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And now he gives his credentials, circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, Of the people of Israel, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was of the right ethnic group, right? He said, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, what's that? So in that time, in that culture, you had Greek Hebrews and Hebrew Hebrews. So the Greek Hebrews were raised kind of with the Greek culture, with the Hebrew brought in on top of it. But he was raised in the Hebrew culture. Hebrew was his first language. He's like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. To the law, I was a Pharisee. He said, as for zeal, 
I persecuted the church. It doesn't get any better than that. And as for righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Like all the 500 and some commands, I kept them. I I lived perfectly, right? I mean, this is what he's talking about. Now, you know what's interesting? When When you look at this list and how he was, many people think of Christianity as, well, I used to be bad, but now I'm good, right? And they think, well, if you're telling me to be a Christian, you're telling me stop being bad and start being good. But tell me this, when the Apostle Paul has this list and he says, as for legalistic righteousness, blameless, what did he do when he was bad? What did the Apostle, I bet the Apostle Paul, when he sinned, he confessed it and he asked forgiveness and he tried to drive straight, didn't he? But he wasn't a believer in Jesus. So many people think that Christianity is about being good, but at the core of it, it's much, much deeper. He he goes on and he says, whatever I gained, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I, I count it rubbish. Okay, so see the resume, and I put something on top of it. Because our translators, they rescue us from the true Greek. I count it as excrement. I count it as excrement. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. So he's like, all my my pedigree, right? All my Harvard education, Right, All my accomplishments, I count it as dung. Because I had misplaced confidence. I think the Apostle Paul, if you were here today, he said, I was attempting to save myself and be my own savior. He says, it's rubbish. And now I want to know Christ. I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, not saving myself that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. You know, I think about this, I, this righteousness that comes from faith. I, I think about my testimony, and many of us have like testimonies, you know, how we came to know Christ. And um, for me, it happened in, in high school. And I told you, I attended a, a high school reunion a couple weekends ago, and one guy, when, when I met him, he said to me, he goes, um, I was telling my wife about you on the way here. And I haven't seen this guy for you know, years. And he, and he said, uh, I remember, I told her about your, when you stood up and did a chapel. He goes, I still remember it. Like you were really nervous, but it was riveting. And I'm thinking, What? And he goes, you made this deal with God, didn't you? And I'm like, I did. I told God if I went to state in wrestling, I would stand up in front of the whole school and tell him my personal story of coming to know the Lord. And I did, and I did, right? And he remembered it. And I was nervous. And the funny thing was, is I did it on Tuesday. And then after I was done, I thought I was done. And the guy who was in charge of chapel, Jim Fenske, comes up to me and says, hey, you know, you didn't really get us up to date. Like, you ended here. Can you take us to here on Thursday? Oh, my knees were knocking, but I said yes, you know. And, and the funny thing is, is when I think of my testimony, it didn't end there. 
because, you know, when I look now at my life, I, I, I realize that, that it's, uh, our relationship with Jesus is a lot like a marriage. It's like you, you, you connect, but you still are living, and you're still growing, and you're still struggling. And, and in, in my life, I um, was successful at about everything I put my hand to. I was, I was popular in school. I, when I was young, I wanted to be a hippie. I became that. I went to state in wrestling. When I got to, to college, we had these teeny little Bible studies, and I, I, I joined the one group, and, and I, I remember praying that we would get 10% of the college campus in our group. And, and two things happened. Our group grew to 80, and the college campus attendance like on campus dropped to 800. I'm like, Lord, you answered my prayer, right? So I was successful there. And, and then I went into the business world and I was successful and opened an office and started in Columbus, went to Pittsburgh, sorry to say that, opened an office in Pittsburgh, had, had like a, a part-time assistant, a full-time assistant, another salesperson underneath me. Like it, it grew and up to the right. When I went into the ministry, a church said, hey, start a new worship service, up and to the right. And when it came here, 10 years of unbroken growth. And when the church plateaued, I was clinically depressed. Why? Because if I'm not successful, who am I? If, I, if I'm not, who, who am I if I, I can't? You know, you say Jesus is Lord. You say he, he, he loves you and you base everything. But what, what sneaks in many times is performancism. I had a dog in me that had to die. I had religion in me that had to be taken away. And it's a painful taking away. And yet, because of it, my heart and life is grounded more on the gospel and less on my performance. So you get things like this. I used to do chapels at Lutheran West before COVID, and uh, um, I did a chapel, and I get a thing that says, an amazing chapel. I like the ones that are short to read and all full of praise. I'm a teacher at West. I was in need of hearing what you had to say, you know, and, and, and you, know, you read that, and before it would just sneak in to your resume and to your stuff, and now I'm like, yep, that feels good, but I'm going to cut the fat off that feeling and remind myself that I'm somebody to Jesus, and that's more important than the praise of people, right? And when I fail, cut the fat off that feeling too and say, yeah, I feel bad, but Jesus loves me and forgives me, and I'm somebody to him, and I don't have to feel as bad as the evil one would want me to feel. Do you see that? You, you work on your heart grounding yourself in the gospel and not in religion so that your treasure is found in Jesus. And how do you find your treasure in Jesus? You remind yourself that he treasures you and you return the favor. The Lord finds you as his treasure, the apple of his eye. And the more I see that, the more I get it down into my heart, the more my heart responds and says, then you're my treasure too. Well, that's uh, religious joy. Now, irreligious joy. So the scripture goes on. It says, for many walk, that means many live, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they're enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. Some translations say belly. 
whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who sets their minds on earthly things. So when I read this, the first thing that jumped out at me was the weeping part. You know, sometimes when Christians, and I would be guilty of this too, we, we look out and we see somebody who's living a self-destructive life. We can kind of get judgmental, talking down. We can get that religious thing going in our heart. And here's the Apostle Paul, much better dude than me and probably the rest of us. He's crying. He, he looks out and he sees people who are living lives of destruction and he's moved to tears. Like they're going astray and he's crying. And I had to ask myself, when was the last time I cried for somebody who's gone astray? Or if you've gone astray and you're like, oh, how does God feel about me? I bet he just wants to squash me like a bug. I, I have to think that the Apostle Paul has the heart of God. And when you go astray, the Lord weeps over you. He's like, oh, I have so much better for you. But if you want to give that a try, go ahead. See if it fulfills you. See if you can find your satisfaction. Because there's two ways to save yourself, right? One by being really good and performing, and the other by being really bad. We're still trying to worship something, right? We're still trying to save ourselves. They're just two different ways of doing it. And Paul is weeping over people. And he uses this word, enemy of the cross, you know, is it like, you know, you hold up a cross and people go, I hate that thing, right? Get rid of that. You know, what, what, what is he talking about? What does it mean to be an enemy of the cross? Well, the first thing he says is their God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame and whose mind set on earthly things. So when you think about God being your appetite, does this mean like this guy on the left, wait, on the left is a sinner and then when he loses weight, gets a six pack, he must be a saint? Is that what it's talking about? Everybody's like, no, or hopefully you're thinking that, right? <laughs> you know, who's, well, what is he talking about there? Right? I think he's talking about how our, our God can be our desires, right? If I feel this, if I feel this desire, I just need to give in to it, right? Whatever it is, just go for your desires, right? Look deep inside yourself. Find your deepest desire and live into it. Is that a recipe for kingdom living? Yeah. You know, my I've said this before. In the morning, my desire is to eat right and exercise. At night, I want to eat junk food and lay on the couch, right? So who am I? Am I the nighttime Doug or am I the morning Doug? Which desire should I give to myself? Right? And, I, and listen, you are the same way, right? We, our deepest desires betray it. We have, we have conflicting desires within us. So, so I think the Apostle Paul would say, if you want to find your life, lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, find it. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say give in to your deepest desires. He says that you want to find your life, lose it. Lose it in me. And if you lose your life in me, you will find your life. He says nobody's left husband and wife or father or mother. You know, all this list, houses for the sake of the kingdom. will will not get back all that stuff and so much more. Do you, like... 
Jesus is saying, I, I'm not telling you to leave your spouses, by, by the way, by quoting that. Um, Jesus, Jesus is saying, like, lose your life and you'll find it. We say finders, keepers, losers, weepers. But Jesus says finders, losers, right? Losers, finders. I probably confused you. It confuses me when I say it. Um, but it's opposite. And so Paul says these people are giving themselves to their bellies, to their appetites, to their desires. They look and they're in a marriage and they look at somebody else and they, and they say, oh man, that is my deepest desire, that person over there, I'm going for it, right? And they run a train wreck of their life, right? They look and they say, I need to be successful in my job and they sacrifice their children on the altar of success, and at the end of their life, they're saying, I wish I spent more time with my family, but I was really not looking for money. I was really trying to fill that, that God-shaped void with my performance at work. Do you see it? And Jesus is saying, you lose your life in me, and you'll find it. And he says, whose glory is their shame. And I don't know about you, but I can look back at some of the things I gloried in, and I am thoroughly ashamed of them. And maybe some of you can look and go, oh, yeah, I remember being so proud of this, and now when I look back, I'm like, no. And their minds are set on earthly things. So much of our lives are how we think. And the scriptures are all about like new neural pathways, right? Yeah, about retraining our thinking, about setting our minds on the things above. Well, religious joy, irreligious joy, is trying to fill the void with stuff of the world, and then Christian joy. He says, I, I want to know him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Isn't that fascinating? Paul's like, I want to know him. If Christ was a sufferer, then part of knowing him is communing in that too, is fellowshipping in that, uh, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul always had this seed in mind. He's like, my body, my life is a seed. I plant my desires into the ground and I get beautiful things up. C.S. Lewis said, you give your sinful desires over to Jesus and he gives you back beautiful desires, right? He's like, you give, you give something to God with one hand, he gives you back so much more with the other hand. Paul had this whole understanding in mind of death and life. He says, uh, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained it or have become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Like, Christ has got me and I want to live into that. Brothers, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I think Christian joy is found in living in to knowing God. Living in to knowing God. Living in to the power of his resurrection. Living in to the fellowship of his suffering. So many times we think we, we don't really want to suffer. We don't want to give. But I'll tell you what, when we live like that, there's joy that comes back. Right? When, when you take the phone call for a friend who's going through a difficult time, you sink, they float, but there's just this sense of, it's good to do. Right? 
When you give yourself for others, there's this sense of joy. You can, hey, just Google the psychology of it. People who, who give financially, people who give of themselves, they're happier people. When, you, when your world is small and you're holding on to everything and living for yourself, you're, you're, not, you're not joyful. So live into that calling that he's given you and, and then forget what lies behind. This is so critical, right? Anybody ever been snubbed? I can, bring, I can bring to mind some serious things that were hard to forgive. And I know people who have gotten, had really bad things happen. And it has shaped their life to this day. And so much of life is by the grace of God being able to let go and to forget about the past, so to speak, and to live in the moment and to live in the presence. Or, or, or how about past failures? Are you dogged by them? Do the voices speak to you about your worth, your value because of your past failures? And frankly, past successes can be the same. I used to be this and now I'm this. What's wrong with me now, right? But failure and successes can also preach to you. You want joy in the day? Let, let yesterday be yesterday and press on to knowing Jesus in this moment, in this time. I like what Henry Nouwen says. He says, the real enemy of our life are the oughts and the ifs. They pull us backwards into the unalterable past and forwards into the unpredictable future. But real life takes place in the here and now. God is the God of the present. <laughs> He's the I am. God is in the moment. To be in the moment, hard or easy, joyful or painful. That's why Jesus came to wipe away the burden of the past and the worries of the future. He wants us to discover God right where we are here and now. So I'm talking, but bigger than my talking is God is here with us. I mean, do you know it? Like he's here. He's here with us. Like heaven come to earth, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. Can you tune in to him louder than the past? And then lastly, I believe there's uh, power in imitation and example. Look what he says, brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk, who live according to the pattern you have in us. You know, it's at um, Gretchen and I both had similar procedures a week apart. We'll leave it at that. And, um, but you have to not eat and drink a lot of liquid. And, um, <clears throat> and in doing this, um, she followed my pattern. No, I'm kidding. Um, and... and and as, as, we were, um, as we were talking to the nurses, they said, you know, the young nurses aren't like we were. These are these two old mature nurses who um, sing you to sleep. You know, good night, sweetheart. Now it's time. To, okay. Um, they, they said they don't respect us like we respected our elders. And I said, you know, when you're raised on television and on TV and in movies... They don't respect parents. Parents are kind of dumb. And we are sometimes. But portrayed as dumb 
right? And they look at me and they go, hmm. I go, life imitating art. Hmm. Right? And many times our life imitates the things we see in movies and on television, on, on social media, right? And, and here he's saying, I want you to imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. And I want you to imitate the others that are like it. You want to find joy. Live this kind of cross-shaped life. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our bodies, our humble state, into conformity with the body of his glory. Does anybody want a new body? By the exertion of the power that he, had, he has even to subject all things to himself. So what is he saying? He says the joy of living the Christian life is a cross-shaped life. Is a word, cruciformed life. It's, it's looking like Paul. It's looking like Jesus. It's this life of, of service and of love, knowing that you plant this body into the ground and it's going to come up resurrected with Jesus. So you look at your life and you're like, I don't think I look like him at all. I, I don't think I, I look like Jesus at all. And I want to call to your mind the Instagram pictures. You ever seen these Instagrams where it's like Instagram pic and then reality, right? Uh, you know, uh, Instagram pic and then reality. Well, can I say that God looks at, looks at me and I think he sees the pic on the right, but he sees the other pic. Why? Because he sees Jesus not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that's a gift from God. He sees the perfection of his son gifted to me. He finds me more beautiful, more uh, desirable, more attractive than I ever find myself. And when I tap into that kind of love, I say, I want to know you, Lord, and I want to imitate you, and I want to be like you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. That you are our strength when we're weak. You're the treasure that we seek. You are our all in all. You know where each person is here. You know how what they've heard around the words that have been spoken. I pray for our ears and our hearts that you would have us um, find you more beautiful. That I could find you more beautiful. Because you find us beautiful. Jesus in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.